We are starting a brand new series called Big Faith. You've maybe heard people talk about growing in your faith. That tends to be a lot of people's New Year's resolutions or things like that, where it's like, I want to grow in my faith. Well, what does that mean? And so that's what this series is really going to be talking about, this idea of what does it look like to grow our faith. And I read a book several years ago, uh, five areas or five ways that God uses things in our lives to help us grow in our faith. And I've written these down. This is probably 12 years old, um, but we've done this a few times at the church. Uh, practical faith, which we're talking about today, particularly the word practical. Um, private disciplines, pivotal circumstances, personal ministry, uh, provisional missions, in terms of how we do missions and the kind of missions that actually helps provide needs. And so uh, these are the five things that we think God uses in our life to grow our faith. But in order to kind of get this idea of what does it mean to, what is faith and what does it mean to grow, we have to kind of go back and see how God defines it uh, in Scripture. Okay, so a lot of you, many of you guys maybe have been around church, you've heard some of these verses before, but I'm going to walk you through this uh, kind of quickly, all right? Um, Hebrews 11 is a great, great chapter. It's kind of called the Hall of Faith, and it's got a lot of cool stories of a lot of Hebrew, you know, men and women of God that uh, are given, they use examples of how they lived out their faith and expressed their faith. But the very beginning of Hebrews 11 tells us kind of the definition, if you will, of faith, all right? Hebrews 11 one says, faith is, I'm going to have you guys read the, the yellow words out loud, okay? So we're going to participate in this together, right? Now what? Faith is what? Confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is not just belief, it's not just believing. Faith is not just trusting, and, and yet we would use those two words to kind of be synonyms to faith, but the way Scripture talks about faith is it talks about the results of what belief should be, the results of what trusting looks like. Faith is kind of the results, you know, this, this confidence in what you believe, in what you're hoping for. It is assurance in what you're trusting in and who you're trusting in, even though you can't see what's next, even though it's an unseen future. Does that make sense? So, so faith is actually defined not just by the root of believing and trusting, but by the actual measurement or the results, if you will, of what believing and trusting does. Everybody follow me so far? So that's, that's kind of how faith uh, is measured. Now again, lots of denominations do this very differently. So I don't know how you were raised in church and what that looks like. And, and a lot of times, again, there would be these terms being used to grow in faith, or you kind of start feeling like faith is like a, a bucket you got to pour into and kind of keep filling and keep filling and keep filling. Um, but I want you to understand that when it comes to like how we define measurements, right, how we define measurements, that the size of faith, okay, your size, quote unquote of faith, is irrelevant. But the object of your faith is everything. Okay? The size of faith is irrelevant. We're going to call the series Big Faith because we want to talk about what big faith looks like, but we're not talking about it in terms of, well, this faith person's faith is bigger than another person's faith, or their bucket's more full than that person's bucket. Like, like the size, I mean, Jesus gave the example himself of the mustard seed, right? 
Why? Because he didn't want them focused necessarily on size, but he used size and the opposite as a way of illustrating that it's the object of the faith that is everything when it comes to faith. So I just want you to imagine, right? Uh, It's a big difference. So when your faith is growing, if it's not size, if it's not capacity, what's actually growing? Well, what's growing is your confidence and your assurance. How can you tell if your faith is growing? Well, you are becoming more confident and more assured. You are more confident in what you believe and, and, and what you believe in. You are more assured, even when you're facing difficult times and you can't see and so forth and so forth, you're assured of what you're doing. And because it's the object of the faith, it doesn't have to do with more information. It doesn't have to do with more knowledge. It has to do with the object of your faith. You need more object in your faith, in your belief, and in your trust. You need more Jesus in your belief about this. You need more Jesus in your trusting in this. We're going to walk through that a little bit uh, today. But just, just imagine, I want you to just think about like a perfect faith. Okay? Everybody just everybody gets to play along, all right? You don't have to close your eyes, but just imagine kind of like, like a perfect version of this in terms of a perfect, full, nothing missing faith. What would that look like? Well, first, you've you got to start off with the foundation. Foundation of our faith is that, you know, God, we have a God and a creator in heaven who knows our name. We get to have a personal relationship with that God through the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said that he would never leave us, right? He would never leave us or forsake us. I mean, he's going to be with us always. The matter of the last words he said before his ascension was, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So that's what we start with, right? Let's think about that, just that simple start. And I want you to think about the perfect version of what would happen when, when, when difficult circumstances come your way, what would perfect faith look like? Well, it probably wouldn't look like fear or anxiety or insecurity or worry. Perfect faith would look like, well, God knows exactly where I am, knows exactly what's going on, and has promised to walk with me through it step by step. So, so I don't need to be overwhelmed by maybe some difficult circumstances because it's God. And so, okay, God, what's next? Let's just move forward. Well, what would happen um, if temptation, when temptation comes your way, right? When temptation to, to do something you know, you're not supposed to do comes your way. Well, if perfect faith existed, if you want to have this perfect faith, it's this idea of like, well, uh, you know, Everything about me wants to say yes to that, wants to say yes to this thing, this temptation, this trial, or the, this, uh, this uh, t- tempting kind of thing. I, everything wants me to say yes, but I know that I don't have to. God's already told me I don't have to. And so because I'm with God and God's with me, you know, we can walk through it. He's going to provide a way for me to say no to this. He's going to give me the power to say no to this. He's going to give me the ability. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He makes a way around it. Does that make sense? And through it. So th- that would, what would happen in perfect faith, what would, you, what would it look like when good things happen to you, when you experience good things? Well, number one, we would stop acting surprised, right? 
Like we'd stop acting surprised when God answered prayer because we actually know he answers prayer. But when blessings come or good things happen in your life, you would, you would be humble, right? You'd respond in humility because you wouldn't get caught up in pride like it's all about you and that that good thing happened because of how awesome you are. You wouldn't get caught up in that. And you would respond with gratitude immediately because you would know where your provision comes from. That's perfect faith. And could you imagine having that? Could you imagine, like, no matter what happened to you in life, you would never be shaken? Never. Well, before you kind of cast that off as, well, that's a pipe dream, you know, that's, that's impossible, that's never going to happen, I just want you to understand that when the Bible talks about us being transformed to look more and more and more like Jesus, it basically means that it, it, we're supposed to be moving in a direction that moves us towards that kind of faith. So when we talk about growing in our faith, that is the direction that we're moving. You may not be there yet, okay? Let's, we're okay. We may not be there yet, but it is the direction we're headed. It's the place we're moving forward to to get to a place that would be called this kind of perfect faith. But until then, we have what I call practical faith. Practical faith is not, a, is not a downgrade to it. It's just this idea that one of the ways that God takes us from here to there to perfect faith is we have to have a practical faith, which is a faith in practice, right? That's what practical comes from. It comes from that root of practice, of or relating to practice or action. It's faith, it's not just belief, but it's belief that translates into behavior. It's trust that translates into a different way of thinking. Everybody follow me? Like that's practical faith. Practical faith is faith in practice, faith moving forward. That's one of the ways that God grows that confidence and assurance in our life. We're going to dive into our primary text today, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount is actually, we're not going to read all of it. It's three chapters. Matthew records it for us in Matthew's uh, chapter 5, 6, and 7. Um, there's so much in the Sermon on the Mount, one of G more Jesus' famous kind of teachings. And, and I can't go into all of it, but he starts and talks a lot about kind of flipping things upside down. Blessed are you who are you know, poor because this is, this is what this, your life is set up for things. And it's very contrary to how culture at that time looked. And he talked a lot about the law. And he says, you know, you've heard it said this way, but I'm telling you this. And then we're going to skip towards the end, kind of like reading a book and jumping to the end to see how it ends. Okay, we're going to cheat together today, all right? We're going we're gonna to jump to the conclusions that Jesus brings people to in the sermon on the Mount. This is going to be in chapter uh, 7. I'm going to pick one specific part just to kind of jump in and jump out. And I want to take you right to the end, but this is, this is a good one for us to jump into. This is in verse 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But then the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult. And only a few ever actually find it, right? So here's, now, uh, the reason I jumped in here is because there's several, if you go and read it for yourself, there's several examples that he gives. He talks about it. There's a tree that has fruit and there's a tree that has no fruit. 
right? It's like one or the other. It's not like a, there's not like a third tree. He says, you, you, got a, you got a path that leads to destruction. It's wide. It's huge. Many people go that way. And then there's a path that leads to life. And it's narrow. And, and, it's, and it's single. So there's, there's, there's this constant thing where, you know, we humans, okay, we like to make things complex. Okay, it makes things easier for us. It helps us find the gray in things, right? We love to find the loopholes in the gray. So we like to kind of make things complex. But honestly, when you read a great deal of what Jesus actually taught and said, Jesus was extraordinarily good at making things very clear, crystal clear, like to, clear to the point that we have to work to muddy it up, right? Crystal clear. It's either this or it's that. You're either for me or against me. There is no middle option. There's no middle ground. It's working out this way or it's working out that way. You're going to take the wide path. You're going to take the narrow path. You're going to have fruit or you're not going to have fruit. Like it's, it's a one or the other option. And then he goes to the very end, the conclusion that he brings us to, and he continues down this path. Let's jump in. This is verse, I think, 25, 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, what's the word? Okay, we're going to say it again like you're paying attention. All right, here we go. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, and the, you know, came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on what? Say it out loud. Sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Then Jesus, or when Jesus had finally finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings. Why? This is because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teacher's of the law. He, he was teaching because this is one of those moments where they realize, okay, Jesus doesn't just know what he's talking about. He's actually saying things with the authority needed to actually change people's minds, to actually change the way they understood the law, how they understood God. But I want you to just go back again really quickly to, again, God sort of, Jesus, through Jesus, he says, Okay, there's, there's two options, there's two roads, there's this, it's this or that. And he says, when he talks about faith, when he's talking about your life, he talks about it in this way of like, you built your house. You, you're building your house, you're building something. And it says, it's either on rock or it's on sand. And again, sometimes we don't like just those two options. We don't want to have a binary this or that kind of kind of choice. But when it comes to our faith, and again, we're talking about not the size of faith, but the object of our faith. We're either building our houses on rock or sand. And that really does mean it's on you or God. Okay, those are the only options. You're putting your faith in, in terms of the object of your faith, either God or you. Now, most of us, 
most of us are pretty, you guys are come to Journey, so you're all very intelligent people, okay? So um, most of us would never say that. Like, we would never be like, my faith's in me, you know? I'm building my house on me. We don't, we don't say that. But think about all the things that we try to get confidence and assurance from. Okay, so, so we are actually building our, our, our faith, so to speak, or our house on the way in which we reason things. Well, our, you know, I, I think this way because I was raised this way and because I had these experiences and because I, I kind of see the world in this way. And so I've reasoned that this is kind of the way life works and we're building our house and our faith on our reasoning. Sometimes we're doing it on our intellect, intellect because we're just so smart. Right? We're so much smarter than God. Sometimes it's our feelings, right? We're in a culture where your feelings are true. You know, no matter what your your the facts are, your feelings are have a voice and they matter. And your feelings are are what truth is. And it's like, well, I would I'm putting my faith into how I feel things should be. Sometimes it's systems. And it's not necessarily systems that you created, you were the author of, but it's systems that, that we're surrounded with that you choose to put your faith in. Some people put their faith in government. Some people put their faith in social systems. Some people put their faith in institutions like marriage. Some people put their faith in religious institutions, right? Not necessarily the God of that institution or religion, but just of the religion itself. We're building our faith there. So we're not so so cocky and arrogant that we're like, no, my faith, I'm, I'm building it on me. But we masquerade where we try to get our confidence from, where we try to get our assurances from. And we have to think about if the, if the measuring of faith, so to speak, is the object of faith. And he wants us to grow by putting that faith into practice, then we have to do some reflection as to, well, what do, we actually have, what do we actually have faith in? Who is it in? What is it in? Is it in the systems? Is it me? Is it my reasoning? Is it my feelings? Is it my intellect? Like, or is it God? So here's just a couple things I'm using today, and we're not going to spend, we have a whole series to walk through several big, big pieces, but today I just want to talk about this idea of the object of our faith and how can we know? How can we know what we're building our faith and our life on? Well, two really easy things to look at is, from this story, is what, what did the last storm reveal? I tried to pose these as questions so you could reflect on these later. What did the last storm reveal? Because the point of Jesus sharing this, this story was that he wanted people to understand that, listen, when the, when the storm comes, not if the storm comes, okay, the storms of life are coming. Matter of fact, I've heard it said, like, you're either coming out of one, you're in the middle of one, or guess what? One's coming. You may, it may be on the horizon, you don't see it, but one's coming. Again, that's not to be negative. That's not to be pessimistic. That's just say, that's just the, the seasons of life. Come with storms. And Jesus is looking at this and saying, hey, if you'd like to get an idea of this, the storm will always reveal what your faith is in. The storm will always uncover and reveal where your confidence comes from, what you're getting assurance in. So the question is, it may take you a month. It may take, you may have to go back a month. You may have to go back a year. You may be like, we're talking about this morning. 
right? What did the last storm reveal to you in terms of where your faith is? This is going to lead us into our, our passage that we're going to read together. Uh, again, this is Mark 4. If you want to turn in your copy of God's Word or you can use your phone, I'm not going to have the, 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 the words on the screen. I'd love for you to read this along with me. Mark 4, we, we believe Mark got a lot of his stuff from Peter. This is kind of Peter's through Mark uh, recording of Jesus' life. And it's interesting because we actually just read the first part of Mark as a, uh, as a church on Partner Night. We were talking about uh, the awesome parable where Jesus talked about the seed and the soil, and he was talking about throwing seeds out, and sometimes it landed on paths and rocky soil and sometimes fertile soil. And, um, but this is interesting because you know, Jesus is talking a lot about seeds, and he, early on in chapter 4, he talks about that, and then he talks about what it looks like to grow uh, the seed, and, and talks about um, the mustard seed. Literally, right before we, we read what we're reading, he gives another example of the mustard seed in terms of size for faith. And then here's what it says. We're going to jump in on verse 33. Jesus used many similar stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as, he, as they could understand. In fact, his public ministry, he, he never taught without using parables, but afterwards, when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. So a lot of times his sermons would have these illustrations and examples, and the disciples wouldn't get every single one of them, and that's, that's kind of our way of So the disciples have had the opportunity not only to hear Jesus teach, but they've had the opportunity to hear the reasoning and the behind the scenes, if you will, of everything that Jesus is teaching. And then watch this. Then in verse 35, it says, as evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although some other boats uh, followed them. But as soon, but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. I love that they want us to know that, right? He was probably smiling. I smile when I sleep sometimes. I don't know if you knew that. It's a very enjoyable thing. So Jesus was happy. He was sleeping with a cushion. And the disciples, disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no, what's the word if you're reading it? No faith. The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man that they asked each other? Even the wind and waves obey him. I love when they are able to put these kind of things into movies and TV shows, and they do their best to kind of describe that moment. But I, I don't know. It always kind of falls short to my own imagination, but I, I kind of can't fathom, you know, like just being there and watching him speak and watching the world change. You know, the world in that moment, the sea, the, the wind, the, the storm, just gone. It would have been astonishing. But understand, they'd already been walking with Jesus 
up to this point. They'd already seen miracles. They'd already seen healings. They'd already seen him feed the 5,000 with, with a kid's lunch, right? They'd already experienced some huge and incredible things that you and I could only wish to experience in our own life. And yet, here they are in this moment. They get in the boat. They, take their, you know, they go across the sea. The winds and raves come up. Everybody seen New York this week, right? When the, you know, when, the, when the rains came and the sewers backed up and the rivers rose up and the creeks rose up. I mean, people started to panic. And here they are in this boat, and these are fishermen. These are skilled guys, right? And half of them at least were. And, 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 and here they are like, they're so accusatory. That's the part that I love too. It's not just like, we're all going to die. It's like, Jesus, don't you even care? Don't you even care that we're going to die? I know that they would not have been able to say it. They wouldn't have been able to say it. But what, what object was, was the disciples, what had they placed their faith in without even knowing it? If you know it, say it out loud. It was the boat. It was the boat. Their, their, their faith and their confidence and their assurance was in the boat. And it wasn't until the storm came that rocked the boat, that shook the boat to its core, that this storm is going to overtake the boat that revealed where their faith was, where their confidence came from, where their assurance came from, not from the person who was in the boat. Everybody with me? This is why size, this is why we have to be careful when we talk about this idea of having more faith or growing in our faith. We, we really want to make sure that we're properly understanding those words. I want to grow in confidence and assurance because I have the right thing that I'm putting my faith in. Far too many of us have our own boats that we're trusting in. We put our faith in it. We didn't even realize it. We put our faith in our money. We put our faith in our job. And we don't even realize it until the job gets taken away or something starts to happen. We put our faith in our marriages and our marriage relationships. And we don't, we don't even consider the fact that it starts to shake on us and we start to panic. We put our faith in our health. We put our faith in all of these things, and, and it wasn't until the storm came that it revealed to us just where our faith actually was. What did the last storm reveal to you? So there's something that happens, and again, this is a moment in which Jesus sort of does it for them. Okay, this is, this is what Jesus does for them. He intercedes for them that he wants us to see that when our faith, our practical faith, like we're really truly living out what we believe and trust in God, that our practical faith intersects with God's faithfulness. It's when our faith actually grows. And again, what grows? Confidence and assurance. Confidence in what we actually believe. Assurance in what we're actually trusting in, even when we can't see the end of the lake, even though we can't see the end of what's happening, even though we can't see what the next step even looks like. We have assurance because of Him. 
It's this catalytic thing that happens. It's something that we can't manufacture. Now, don't hear me say this is like 50% God and 50% you. That's not the way this works. This is not a math formula. This is just saying that we have a practical faith, an active faith, a faith that should be in practice, and it's when we engage the faith that God's given us, we engage the faithfulness of God. And that's when our faith begins to grow. The second one, second question anyway, that we can wrestle with in terms of building our faith or in terms of our faith, our faith growing is what are you listening to that you already know you should be doing? What, what are you hearing? What are you listening to that you already know you should be putting into practice? But for whatever reason, you're not. For whatever reason, you're not doing it. So you got to remember, the disciples were hearing Jesus the whole time. Like they heard his parables, they heard his explanations. And yet even in that moment when the storm came, it hadn't really, hadn't really caught yet. It hadn't really gotten into practical faith. So sometimes, we actually just talked about this as a church, our, our partner night, we looked at this quote because our church was talking about, you know, what does it look like next year as we kind of begin to work through the application of our faith? Like, we, we don't sometimes feel like it's more knowledge that you need or more information that you need. Most of you who grew up in the church, if you grew up in the church, I mean, most of you who've grown up in the church with good Bible teaching, guys, you guys are far more educated than even some of the missionaries that we and pastors of rural villages in Kenya and Haiti that we deal with when they can't even really read or write. They're just, everything they have comes from scripture memory and from audio and audio listening. Like, like they're, you, you don't understand how blessed you are. So it's not an issue of sometimes knowledge. It's an issue sometimes of just application. And here's the quote that we, we, we read as a church. This is from Mark Batterson, who's an author. Most Christians are educated way beyond their level of obedience already. We don't need to know more. We need to do more. And we were, again, focusing on the last part of that quote, but the first part is true. <laughs> Most of us already know, okay? We, we already, when I say no, just you've already heard it. It's already come, you've already, it's already been explained to you. You just, you know, you just have your own excuses. You already kind of know what you don't want to do. Like you've, you've kind of set that aside, made, a, made an excuse as to why you're not going to do it or why you haven't done it yet. Here's the way, here's the way James, okay, this is actually the brother of Jesus, okay? So Jesus' brother is a preacher in the early church, and he writes the church. He writes a letter to the church, and here's how James describes it. He says it this way. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourself. The NIV actually says, uh, don't deceive yourself. Don't, don't, don't let yourself be deceived by you. If you're listening to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. And you yourself, or you see yourself, and then you walk away and forget what you look like. Nobody in here does that right? But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, 
and you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. See, sometimes people ask me, or they'll talk about it, and they're like, well, I just, you know, I'm really wanting to experience the blessing of God in my life. That's great. That's great. Sometimes I'll go back to that verse, because James is really poignant. You want to be blessed by God? Well, then you just do what he told you to do. It's not difficult. It's not, it's not that hard. Okay? Well, I'm just experiencing some tension and anxiety and relationships and so on and so on. Yeah, I understand. You have to do what he told you to do, which means you already know the person you're supposed to forgive. You just don't want to. Right? You just don't want to. You've justified it. They don't deserve it. They never said they were sorry. You know, but you already know what you're supposed to do. You know, sometimes people will be like, well, I want God to bless me in my finances. That's fantastic. Are you tithing? Do you, do you tithe? Do you give above and beyond to missions and other things that people have needs for? Are you living this generous life so that he can create a harvest of generosity in you and a blessing for you? Because that's where we start. That's not something you, you work up to. That's first base. No, 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 I just want him to bless me. You know that family member you're supposed to extend grace to. Everybody knows who they are. We probably even know who they are. <laughs> but you've justified it. You've considered it. you got all sorts of reasons. And so the question just goes, what are you listening to right now that you just you're just not doing. And, what, and the reason the answer matters is because, again, you're trying to build your confidence and your assurance for your life outside of God's plan, outside of the object of faith that we're called to have. We're trying to do it, and we would, again, we would never say it out loud, but we're trying to build our faith on us on our ability to manage this, on our ability to navigate this, on our ability to reason this out, on our ability to make it work no matter what. And sometimes the storms come and reveal it to us. But you don't have to wait for a storm. You can say, okay, what, am, what, am I listening, what do I know I'm supposed to do already? I'm already educated far beyond my level of obedience. What am I supposed to do? And you already know. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, most of the time, you already know. That's where the work of the Holy Spirit comes in. He, that's where the prompting of the Spirit comes in. Most of us don't ask. Listen, most of us in life don't ask questions we don't want the answer to. So most of us will never pray, God, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Because he will answer you. And then you got to do something with that. But it starts here. This is where it starts. Hebrew, the author of Hebrews, again, in Hebrews 12, tells us, with our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our, what's the word? Faith. Our eyes are fixed on him because he is the object of our faith. We can grow in confidence and assurance. And that's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for people who call Journey Home that, you know, again, we're, I'd love to see, you know, that, 
that perfect view of faith, but I'm not there yet either, right? I want to grow what it looks like to become more and more like Christ and have big faith is that, God, I'm not going to be satisfied with the level of faith that I have somewhat managed to get to at this point in my life. My eyes are fixed on you, which means I want to grow in my confidence in what I believe is true and what you revealed to me about truth. I want to grow in my trust in you even when I cannot see a foot in front of me. And then later on in life, you'll notice, I'm almost 50, right? So you start looking back on your life and you start seeing the change. You start seeing the fact that I'm far more confident in the right way, because most of my confidence usually comes from me. But I'm far more confident in the right way now as I've been learning and growing in my faith. I'm far more assured. You know, stuff doesn't shake me the way it used to shake me. In all fairness, my wife's right here. She can tell you the truth. My button, one of my buttons was car issues. Right? Am I right? Car issues. You, have, you, you want to see Matt Dawson melt down in my 20s and 30s? Do something to one of my cars. Now, again, we drove pieces of junk all the time, so stuff was happening a lot to our cars. But especially like unexplainable stuff, like stuff that we couldn't figure out, stuff that wasn't clear, like, oh, that just used to, I mean, it really did. It used to just tear me apart. And now, again, I, you know, some of you might be looking, you're older, you're lazy or whatever, you know, you're like, well, I'm much more assured, you know, whether it's our newer car or that 89 Ford beat up truck out there, we'll probably figure out how to get to where we're going. I'm really not overly concerned. My assurance doesn't come anymore necessarily in terms of cars is the outcome that I want to see. But just assurance and trusting that he's got us taken care of. He hasn't failed us yet, right? And then we, don't we sing a song about that? Like, he hasn't failed us yet. And like sometimes it takes a while to look back and see that, to see where you have grown. But I don't want to be satisfied where I'm at. I want to experience big faith. I want to experience life-changing faith. I want to experience the faith where no matter what happens, I cannot be shaken. But it's got to be practical. It's got to be practical. It's got to be living it out. What I know to be true. What I believe to be true. What I'm trusting in. That's what I'm praying for you. Let's pray together as we close out this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. I'm so thankful for the lessons learned in my life. And it doesn't mean the storms aren't coming, God. It doesn't mean the storms don't still hit us. But God, thank you with gratitude that, that I have seen confidence and assurance grow in my life. But thank you that I can continue to grow in it. That you've done something beautiful that whenever I take a step towards you, you just always meet me there. And whenever I put into practice what you've already told me to do, you meet us there. Your faithfulness meets us there. God, I'm praying for everyone today as they reflect on these questions, as they think about their faith in practice. God, just give them, let the Holy Spirit prompt them. Give them one thing this week, one revelation from a uh, you know, a storm that they've recently had that they can make a change in, something that they know they've been listening to, but they know they need to put into practice. God, just through your power and your strength, help us do it. 
Help us grow our faith in practical ways so that our confidence and our assurance come from you and you alone. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.